0: Hello everyone, welcome to Outcomes the Sun podcast. We're super excited because today our guest is a kind of an amazing human being. He has leapt out of airplanes when he served in the US Navy. Um, He has served thousands of barrel-aged craft cocktails, I'm not really sure what that means, in his nefarious company and has been recognized as a leading authority on antique jewelry. And I wanna talk to you about that later. Recently, he crossed the Andes in both Ecuador and Peru on a motorcycle. Professionally, he is a managing partner of a 280 person team software development consultancy that he built over the last 25 years with his partners. And he teaches his award-winning class Leading a Culture of Innovation, to MBAs at the William E. Simon School of Business. He also recently lectured to business school students at Harvard University. Sean has won several awards for his thought leadership on trust and has been named a top advisor to CEOs for the last three years from Vistage, the largest consortium of C-level business leaders on planet Earth. So welcome, Sean, amazing person on the planet. Um, we met because we met because I actually, we had uh, Melissa, my partner on Outcomes of Sun Podcast. Sorry, I didn't introduce you, Melissa. It was such a load of stuff going on. Um, we met because we had your daughter, uh, Sophia Webb, on the podcast last week, and she Lovely. is an amazing human being, and we're... I don't know. We are just super excited because you are doing some extraordinary things. When you speak to leadership, you're talking about you're talking about happiness, which I think is totally linked to your mental wellness and balance. So perhaps you could. Well, you can talk about anything you want because basically you're the smartest person in the room at this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but thanks for the kind words about my amazing daughter. I would agree with you on all of yes. those. Yes. Phrases, um, yeah. So I think it becomes—it's the leader's job. And the, and the larger the organization, the more important this is. But it's the leader's job to make sure that the environment is one that produces happiness and the people that you lead. If you th- if you think about how society is set up today in a capitalistic environment like the United States, for example, and you know most of the globe, people spend the bulk of their waking lives working. Like you spend yeah. more of your waking life working than anywhere else. And if you, as the CEO or the leader of an organization, don't see how important that that space in people's lives is that you're responsible for leading, that's a problem. That's a big problem. So what, I, what I've been doing is taking some of the mechanics of positive psychology, the science of uh, Richard Ryan and Ed DC self-determination theory out of the University of Rochester, Martin Seligman's work, Barbara, Barbara Fredrickson's work, you know, on positive psychology, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, who passed away a little over a year ago, unfortunately, um, Austrian <clears throat> psychologist who did some f- spectacular work on peak human peak performance and peak happiness, and trying to apply them in ways that CEOs and leaders can, you know, use them and create create better spaces, create space for happiness and joy in the workplace, because you can't you can't run a truly sustainable business for a long time without thinking about this problem that people are spending the, you know, the bulk of their lives in this space, and we, we're responsible for that. Yeah. And I don't, think, I don't think a lot of CEOs think of it that way. So if you can set up the structure and the way in which you, you language leadership, um, you, can, you can build a more sustainable, more powerful business. And it has a bottom line impact.
0: That's amazing. Uh, uh, tell me something, do you find, did you do, did you do research in other countries? Because it seems to me that like Scandinavian countries and, and certain other countries have more of a focus on kind of happiness or, you know, helping the, helping a person kind of lead a balanced life. Would you say you got information from other countries or is it just based on this positive psychology?
1: there's certainly a lot of research out there that shows this correlation between happiness and, um, job satisfaction at the national level. Um, but I, you know, that's not my specialty. I'm largely focused on the United States. I mean, I, I have done a lot of reading in that space and I do think, (laughs) you know, there's, there is a, there is a direct correlation between, um, work satisfaction and overall happiness in a comp in a country and there are people who are doing that doing that research today
0: and how would you address that Let, let's say you come you know that you're you're speaking to a CEO or or a bunch of CEOs and how would you address how would you address like how they can implement happiness like what do you say I, I am I mean, I'm the four-year-old here who doesn't know anything <laughs> about running a company. No, I, I really wouldn't know how to set that, I don't know, set that environment for people. That's a, fan- have- That's a
1: fantastic question. and yeah, I believe it starts with the goals, you know, and most companies, they structure their goals with profit at the front and center of everything. And I think you know, you can't run a business without profit. That's just the way the world works. But it's like your car. Um, you have a car, Mariel, I assume?
0: Y- yes, I do. <laughs> you, you, yes. you
1: drive it to get places, right? And you bought the car so that you could have transportation, so you could get places. Yes. And you have to put fuel in it. What happens if you don't put fuel in it? It doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: You don't go anywhere. So, But you don't buy the car so that you could put fuel in it. Right. Business works the same way. Another analogy I like to use is about breathing. So, Melissa, do you like to breathe?
2: <laughs> I stop every once in a while just for kicks.
1: Just you know, do <laughs> a little box breathing, a little yoga meditation. Maybe you hold your breath for a while. But you like to breathe. But do you get up in the morning in order to breathe? Is that your purpose? Is your purpose in life breathing? No. So, it's the same profit functions the same way for a business. Like you can't operate a business without profit, and everybody in your company knows that. They recognize that. Like the business doesn't operate if we don't have profit. But it's not the goal. It's not the goal of the business. And if you get your dominance hierarchies right associated with your goals, you can have you can change the way your people think about your business, your customers think about your business, your employees, your vendors. You can just change the the nature of the relationship that the business has with the people that it leads. So one of the things I teach them to do, or at least to think about, is to have some people-oriented goals front and center. And yes, you have to have profitability goals, and you have to track that stuff, because if you don't, you're not going to survive. Like Profit's about survival, and if you make a lot of it, it's about how you can potentially invest in the future. But you can't thrive without humans, without positively motivated, you know, powerfully motivated human beings at the, at the front and center of the org. So I've got some constructs that make this rather simple for leaders, and it's really about measuring um, and being present for human behaviors, the human behaviors that you see in your business ecosystem. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense.
2: Absolutely. One of the, I want to jump in and say both of my children studied business in college. My son is currently studying and my daughter uh, graduated degree in business. And one of the things that I, I know when they've been talking to me about how they've been taught business, I, my husband and I have owned business for over 20 years. So we didn't have the background of studying business that they did. They've got a leg up. But when I'm looking at the work that, they're, that they learned and are learning, nowhere does happiness quotient factor in on the, on the budget, right? And I think that for the, as speaking as a, as a smaller business owner for years, I think that the, the, you walk into the notion of, of finding ways to make your team happy, other than the obligatory motivational team bonding things, you anticipate that it's going to cost you more money than you more money. And I think that's, the crooked line that we have that there's the lack of understanding. And certainly I think that you work predominantly, Sean, if I'm correct with corporations and bigger companies.
1: Largely, but a lot of small businesses as well. A lot of startups. I have a lot of startup experience.
2: Brilliant. I, it's, it's like working with new parents. I'm glad you're working with them. It's, it really is. <laughs> the first time parents. So I know that I think that there's this misnomer of spending money on the happiness quotient. We'll, we'll, will take away from the bottom line, and I'm intrigued for you to share with us your findings on the statistics of companies that that focus on this and the companies with whom you've worked. Where do you see the the difference in in the rise of their their profitability when you when you re, when you focus on the happiness?
1: Well, it's frankly, it's anecdotal, so I don't have any research that shows, hey, you build this happiness quotient, and the result is this. However, the way I've structured it, uh, the, go- the goals I create or help leaders create is to think about, <clears throat> not to think about happiness in particular, it's kind of like a backdoor approach. So what I have them think about is the relationships that they're able to build. Because in theory, according according to the self-determination theory and lots of other social scientists, not just so self-determination theory, but according to self-determination theory, there's three core human needs that need to be met for people to be intrinsically motivated. And so when I say when I say happiness, I'm correlating that to intrinsic motivation,
2: Okay.
1: you you understand the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic extrinsic means that there's some external force motivating you to do the thing, whether it's a carrots and sticks money, some external force, whereas intrinsic motivation, the, the locus of the locus of the source of the motivation is myself. It's inside of myself. And the ultimate intrinsic motivation comes when you're authentically playing. Yeah. So that's, that's self termination theory. So how can you make, how can you cause this shift in how your team is thinking so that it's a little bit more like play? And the reality is, so the three core needs to get back to self-determination theory are <laughs> the need for autonomy, the need for autonomy, meaning I have some semblance of control in my life. Like I'm not an automaton being driven and process, you know, have to just Put, keep pushing this button. Um, so there's there's some sense of autonomy for happiness to occur. The second is mastery. And that's a complicated, it's a complicated concept because when we think of mastery or that's Daniel Pink's term for it, he wrote, he wrote the book Drive based upon Ed DC and Richard Ryan's work in self-determination theory. The way Richard and Ed and the entire self-determination theory universe talk about it is that competence, it's about growth. It's about my ability to grow and learn something, but it's more than that. It's also about my being able to apply my unique skills to this unique problem. Like I have value, like self think self-esteem going all the way back to the father of positive psychology, Abraham Maslow. You know, my sense of self-esteem, my ability to apply my unique knowledge and skills to this problem, that's really, really important in the context of self-determination Human intrinsic motivation, which ultimately ultimately leads to happiness at work, and the third, arguably, in my opinion, in business, the most important of the three factors, is what the self-determination theory people call relatedness. Relatedness. Dan Pink called it purpose. Um, you know, if you read Victor Frankel's work um, or Ed Becker's work, the Immortality Project, any of the famous psychologists of the day. Like we need to have, meaning comes from our ability to solve problems for other people. That's the way it works. And when you show up to work, yeah, you want to get a paycheck, but isn't it way more powerful if not only are you getting a paycheck, but you're actually adding value to other people's lives?
0: Absolutely.
1: Like that's why that's going to make our work more meaningful. So I start there. I start with that concept of relatedness and the concept of relationship building and that's what all businesses do. You think of any of your favorite businesses that you interact with on a, any regular basis, right? They add value to your life and they've worked to build a relationship with you in some context. And all the great business leaders figured this out, like customer centricity, employee centricity, however you focus it, it's about people. It's all about people. Yeah. And if you're gonna build a sustainable long-term business, it's not just about profitability metrics and numbers. It's about people because we lead people we manage you know the numbers, the metrics and profitability. So yeah, so my my definition of leadership is that it's the things we do as leaders that produce creativity in the people we lead. And creativity only comes from this concept of intrinsic motivation, self-determination theory. Brilliant.
0: Well what it what it makes me think is because you brought up relationship and relationship is really key, right? We're all in relationship with other people with employees with our with our significant others and with ourselves so it really comes down to how our i mean i think first maybe that that the issue is not it's not an issue but it's it's about self awareness you know coming going inside and seeing how well you negotiate your relationship with yourself then that kind of bleeds into those diff, those other relationships whether it's your partner and then it becomes employees but then that relationship your your ability to to really understand relationship it doesn't matter what relationship it is it kind of it it kind of erases those lines you become very good at your ability to negotiate relationship wherever it comes whether it's through a work situation and and back to your point in the beginning we spend most of our time working So we have to become good at, 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 you know, having those relationships all day long throughout our lives. And then, and it makes me think of when you come away from the relationship at work, then it's almost like you have to reconfigure your relationship to come back into your personal life, right? You kind of have to go, okay, who do I have to be here? Cause I I think we spend more time working. It's a lot easier to drop in, right? So when you come back, it's like, it it just makes, it it reminds me that there's a constant kind of balance of finding what relationship you're in at the moment. And then it becomes, it becomes like you said, it becomes like breathing. You don't have to think about it anymore. It just, the transition happens naturally. But, I love the fact that you're bringing awareness to relationship and happiness as it pertains to everything, and life becomes everything. I, I mean, work becomes everything because that's what you're doing. I don't know i, I this is this is fascinating to me because yeah it's it just it that to me is really mental health that's mental it's about understanding yourself, right and creating uh. I don't know. It's very
1: exciting. (laughs) It's certainly a contributor to it, right? So yeah, the place I start with CEOs is by getting them to recognize or trying to get them to recognize that their ultimate goal is to maximize the number of humans in their ecosystem that actually cares about the collective future of the org. Yes. Because that's where creativity and ideas for the future come from. That's your primary goal. Secondary goal would right. be to make a profit, maximize profit, all those other things, but like that's how you orient people. That's in how you orient them, that's what I call strategy. Like getting people yeah. towards that.
0: Yeah. I mean the, the, the fact that you're teaching them to, to, to m- m- make that core make that family. Right, make that core group family, and their pat, and everybody has the same passion. Right, they have, everybody has the passion to make, to make it all work. Yes, it's profitability. Yes, you want to have a bottom line, but it's it's through amazing creativity. I, I don't know. I, I think that's fascinating. I mean, it makes me think of you know Bobby. We also met because my significant, my significant other, Bobby Williams. Has this machine that is extraordinary, but we're a startup. Well, he's a startup, really, and I, I just see how, I see how we can implement that into this moving forward, right? As we become a company, because we're really kind of, we're floppy right now, but we are we are forming, right? But if you have that focus that's like, what a gift, what a gift it is that you give to these, these people to understand that business and the relationship with your business partners is really no different than living life, right? Living about good and balanced life. It's so good. I'm so excited.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, you mentioned this crossover between your work life and your personal life, which I think a lot of people try to put up really hard lines, but the the reality is, you're a human. Yes. And you're the same human that goes to work, that comes home to your family. And if you, as a leader, yeah. you recognize that, then you start to figure out. And you know, COVID sort of forced a lot of this on CEOs, like forcing the the this relationship to get a little bit more melded. You know, yeah. And to recognize that we are people and we have lives, and it's all part of the same equation. And if you really intend to tap into the intrinsic motivation of the humans that you lead to maximize creativity you need to be thinking about and caring about their whole self not just their productivity at work
0: absolutely
2: sean it makes me think of the the line that people used to throw around in business all the time that says don't take it personal it's business (laughs) And and you know then people would come up with a retort would be well i'm human i don't know how to not take it personal i'm a person but yeah. we have we've thrown in into our vernacular all these idioms to to support pushing the profit like this and because we're not robotic right so i i i love this approach and i you said you started off our talk with saying we spend so much of our time at work and we in the, in our waking hours we're working well we put so much emphasis i on, know on, on our show on the, the the importance of good sleep and so <laughs> bed and the pillow and the temperature of the room and the quality of the sheet and and since I've met Bobby and Mariel the blackout of the curtains so factors in place to ensure that our sleep is good but I love this idea of putting the same emphasis and energy towards ensuring that our work environment is as healthy and happy and I love that it's you know it's it's a it's a byproduct of doing the right thing
1: yeah it is it is and I think I think great business leaders in my experience through observation, 30 some odd years of being in business, do this already. Like this is not a, this is not, this is a pattern that I see, like the most successful sustainable business leaders that really build healthy cultures. This is what they're doing. They just don't always recognize it. Mm-hmm. So when I come in, right. when I come in and talk to CEOs, I'm not telling them to do anything differently. I'm just telling them that there's a different way to see the world so that you can express and maybe be a little more purposeful about the things that you're doing that are working well, you know?
0: Well, having more awareness of, of what <laughs> you're doing. Like maybe they're doing it right, but they didn't they didn't know. They couldn't even recognize it. And also seeing that it's really no different than how you lead a healthy life, right? So all of those lines become erased and you become, you know, you could just become better at everything. Right. And then there's no there's no break, right? If if you're doing things really well, and I think that mastery thing that reminds me of the ten thousand hour thing, you know, it's like once you put in those, you know, then it becomes well, you're just good at it because you've done it so many times and you've learned and you've fallen down and you've, you know, had mistakes and what have you. So that's pretty next thing you know, you're a beetle
2: you're one of them. <laughs> exactly. We, we're going to take a quick break. We're, and we we're speaking with Sean Flaherty. We're talking about the importance of happiness in the workplace and how it bleeds into other areas of your life in the most positive, beautiful way. Well, our hope is that you stay with us and come back. We've got many more questions to ask Sean and to tap into his genius. We'll
0: see you soon. I want to thank one of our incredible sponsors, BrainTap. You may have listened to our podcast with the founder of BrainTap, Patrick Porter. And if you did, you'll definitely want to get involved in BrainTap. And if you didn't, please, please, I strongly recommend that you go back and listen. It's so incredibly informative. Here's what BrainTap can do. You can literally build your brain fitness with BrainTap's mobile app and wearable headset. Everyone here at Outcomes the Sun podcast has had and continues to have positive results with BrainTap. Your brain is guided from awake and reactionary patterns to intuitive and creative responses. BrainTap is backed by neuroscience and research and was developed by Patrick Porter himself. BrainTap creates a symphony of brainwave activity to optimize your brain's potential, restore your ability, balance your energy, and calm your brain. And listen, it is a game changer when it comes to sleep. This technology is truly a gift and I am so incredibly grateful to be able to share it with you. Welcome back everyone. We are speaking to Sean Flaherty and it's an amazing conversation about happiness in the workplace and in life and everything in between and all of that. So thank you. Thank you for being with us, Sean, because truly what you're speaking about is just, it's profound on so many levels. Like I I know that you speak to high level CEOs, but for those of us that out there just with, you know, we go to the the workplace, this is for everyone. Everybody should know how to negotiate their every aspect of their lives. And so thank you for sharing your expertise with us who 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 really you know everybody can benefit from from a from a life well lived right and a, and a life of awareness awareness of how you're doing everything one of the things that melissa and i like to talk about on uh, on the show is lifestyle right and she brought up sleep before right but we i, I talk about the seven doctors Either appreciate this or laugh at me. Uh, the seven doctors are Dr. Sun, Dr. Air, Dr. Water, Dr. Exercise, Dr. Nutrition, Dr. Earth, and Dr. Rest. They're available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they're free. But actually understanding that every aspect of that kind of equation of the seven doctors of connecting in nature, drinking water, sleeping, all that stuff, it really is kind of, when I think about it in, in relationship to what you're talking about, it's like the roots of the tree, right? So you've got the roots of the tree, but then the tree comes out and that's kind of your workplace. You spend a lot of time working. So how do you feed all those branches of that tree? Wow, that was so esoteric. I don't know.
1: No, it's good. But you know what I I'm think, saying? I do, yeah. I think. You mentioned it in a different way, but I'll restate kind of what I heard you say. Like, we're all leaders. We all lead. And, uh, you know, plenty of research has been done that shows we don't do well when we're isolated. Like, humans don't do well. Isolation is damaging to all parts of our psyche. We need others. And, you know, like I said before, my definition of leadership is tapping into the creativity of the people that you lead. And, you know, you're a leader in your church group, on your sports team. In your friend group, in your family, you lead. Yeah, and really, one of your top goals in life should be to maximize the creativity of the people that you surround yourself with. Yeah. You know, so yeah, because that's
0: what so is cool. leading if it's not encouraging the the most the optimum, you know, creativity of your children, your and whatever else. Yeah, sorry, didn't mean to interrupt, but I was. Oh, no, absolutely,
1: said. like. Imagine, and close your eyes, imagine a world where all the people in your life that you're in some way accountable or responsible for, too, are more creative in their lives as a result of your presence. Like, that should be a life goal for all of us. 100%. 100%. CEOs need to 100%. Help. Yeah. And in all aspects of your, your life. And the same thing on the flip side of that, <clears throat> I try to tell my kids this. Like be very careful with the top five people you spend most of your time with and pay attention to whether or not they're making you more creative or if they're pulling you down Mm -hmm. because that's how you live a great life. It's all about people. It's all about who you surround yourself with. And it's about how you contribute to their lives.
0: It's about those relationships. Yeah. And I, I know, and when you're raising kids, it's so, it can be challenging because sometimes they go off in a direction and they're with people that you're like, ah, oh, you see, but they also have to have those experiences, right? So Indeed. you can't stop the experience or say, oh, that's bad because then it's just reverse psychology. They're just like, man, I'm going to,
1: no, you know, I'm going to do it more. I think adolescents all go through this phase where they're not quite motivated by the same things that normal people are motivated by they're just they're ego driven they're doing their thing prefrontal cortex isn't fully wired until you're in your mid-20s that's been well established in science and they're figuring it out they're trying to figure all that out and it's it's a tough especially during COVID man what a tough time to be a teenager you know
0: oh my god we talk about it all the time the isolation the amount of you know suicide suicidal ideation the just it's it's sad and terrifying and they're still having trouble coming out of it because you know um I you well not like you but in a in a smaller sense you know speak around the country but I speak at some of these universities and sometimes I would show up in the middle kind of towards the end of when COVID was kind of waning off but still fear was heightened kids they doubt. didn't show up they didn't show up right they were scared they were scared to leave you know there was and that fear you know that's an interesting thing like how do you address I mean you must have had to address that with some of these CEOs kind of negotiating a different a different environment therefore that sh- that shifts the relationships that they have what what would you how did you I don't know. How did you kind of guide them through that time?
1: Well, I think if you have the goals right, like we talked about earlier, um, it doesn't matter where people sit or where they are. So I think, you know, what I saw during COVID, um, and it pretty much dominated the conversation at the sea level. You know, what are we doing? What's going on? Here's all the changes. How do we adapt? How do we adjust? What are we going to do? How about our people? <laughs> then after, at the tail end of it, you had this big um, mass. Exodus or movement, they called it the mass migration, right? Of people from one job to another because they were looking for a change because they were, you know, whatever the psycho, the psychological relationship there between work and, and this change was, I'm not sure, but it happened. So it dominated the conversations yeah. that I was having with CEOs. And my fallback is always look, if you're if you're hyper focused on building relationships with the people that you serve as a leader your customers, your employees, your vendors, then the tactics might change for how you do that, but the strategy doesn't change. The goals are still the same. You know, you want to optimize for solving these problems in this unique way that makes your business viable um, for these people that you care about, that you call your customers. Right. put a label on those people. And, you know, in my world, I call them advocates. It's not quite the right word. And that's a conversation I have with the CEOs. Like, you got to come up with your own word. But an advocate is is a human in your ecosystem that actually is investing in your future. Like the care about your future, which means you're investing in them because it's not a one-way street, right? It's two-way. And if you set out a goal to maximize the number of advocates in your customer ecosystem and in your employee ecosystem, the environment doesn't matter. Like whether or not COVID is happening doesn't matter. You still have the same goal. Um, Right. If it's about profitability, that's a different animal because then it's just, you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to squeeze wherever you can and the people don't matter. And that's sociopathic. That's what that is.
0: Yeah. And, and wouldn't you say that, that if your, if your passion and your goal is always about creating better relationships, healthier relationships, then the people that kind of fall off and go to something else, if you're if your focus has been one way instead of being upset by those people migrating elsewhere you sort of realize well maybe that's because that was meant to happen right in some way like it. it sure. sometimes people drop off because they're not they're not right for that relationship right and sometimes no, right. we're we're right
1: yeah so Is that it's perfect you just you nailed it so you know, one of the things I walk through with the leaders is like, hey, okay, now that you've identified the goal is to maximize the number of these people. Now you also want to maximize the depth of the behaviors that you see in the wild. Like you want more advocacy right. behaviors, and that's how you're going to measure it, because you can see behaviors. comes a metric. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pause here because I got lost on your question. I was, oh, I was going to answer um,
0: well, I- so i was sort of saying that that when you have that relationship right when you when you're focused on the relationship and some people fall off right oh, yeah. you lose you lose yeah, people they migrate right okay. okay
1: so unpause all the
0: time.
1: <laughs> no problem. so most successful businesses they have a strategy that's pointing at that thing like maximizing the number of advocates in some way um, which requires a whole bunch of work you don't just get to that place and the way that they do it is they have a clear vision and the way I describe vision, I draw a chart and it's like knowing who it is you serve uniquely so that when you solve these unique problems as a business, advocacy occurs. And the right. best businesses figure that combination out. And wh- and with employees, it's the same thing. Now, now, once you have that figured out, your job as a leader is to go find as many employees as you can that care about solving those problems for those people. And then you right. build this beautiful ecosystem and you're yeah. going to run into situations where um people don't either don't care about that problem or they're faking it because you know according to Martha Stout phd researcher who wrote the book the sociopath next door 4% <laughs> one one in 25 people is diagnostically sociopathic 4% so i run a company with really yeah i run a company with 280 people
2: more than 24 for our company
1: do the math exactly scary wow so but they're out there and they fake it and if they're high iq they fake it really really well because they're smart and they know what they have to do to fit in and do the things so that get their paycheck, you know?
0: I think I was married to that person a long <laughs> time ago. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> just kidding. It just came to me. Wow. No, sorry. <laughs>
1: 125. So, so if you don't have people on your bus that are driving towards that goal, like solving those problems for those people that we want to turn into advocates, you got to get them off the bus. And it could be because the things you do just aren't motivating for them or they're one of the you know, four percenters. We got to get them off the bus. Right. So so
0: I uh, hold on, Sean, because we're going to take another little break. But what you are saying, I it's just absolutely fascinating. You are clearly too smart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, what you're doing is so important. I can't even express it enough. I mean, as a not only as a business person, but as uh, anyway, we're going to come back. I'm going to hold the thought that I was just having, and we're going to come back in a second with Sean awesome. Clarity. All right. Welcome awesome. back to – oh, okay. Sorry.
3: Sorry. Liv, I'll catch you down. No, no, no.
0: Okay. Three, gotcha. two, one back to outcomes of some podcast we were having an absolutely fascinating conversation with Sean Flaherty with my new favorite person in the world because I think <laughs> I'm just gonna call you when I have problems any kind of problem I'm just gonna call you just you know you better change your number because I might call in the middle of the night anyway um, <laughs> um this is this is fascinating because, because we all have relationships with you know again i say with our children you know as parents we have them with our children as as business leaders and and i love that you that you started off really saying that we're all leaders right we're all leading something if we're a parent we're leading we're guiding we're doing whatever and in our business the person who is an employee is also a leader right so if you can give them the autonomy and and the feeling that they are leaders as well and that their their future is about like i want you to be the best you can be that's to, to me what you're saying is leaders that invite you to be your best as, as the, their employees that's extraordinary leadership because it's not ego-based It's not based on their own ability, you know, like I'm gonna keep my thing and I'm gonna put a box around it and you can't come in. It's about saying, hey, you may overtake me in this and I welcome that because I welcome your creativity, your brain, your, I'm just, I'm fascinated by this. It just, it's so great. And, and, you know, getting back to mental health, what's better than feeling as though you're valued? right? Mental imbalance comes from feeling isolated, not valued, and not heard. So the, the workplace is about feeling this sense of I matter, right? Incredible. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I tell, Thank so you. when I speak uh, publicly, I tell this story. I served in the Navy um, many, many years ago. We won't talk about how many years ago that was, but I served in the Navy, <laughs> as an enlisted man out of high school because I needed the GI Bill to go get college. I wanted to go to college and it wasn't really a possibility for me. So I joined the Navy, got the GI Bill and I served in two different uh, squadrons, F-14 Tomcat squadrons, if you've seen the movie Top Gun. Um, (laughs) I was one of those guys in a colored shirt running around on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. And I I served, this is my first real lesson in leadership in life was watching these two different commanding officers of these two different squadrons and how they led, how they spoke and how they behaved. And I studied them very carefully and I learned a lot. And, you know, one of them was very charismatic, optimistic, positive, took a, almost like a positive psychology approach to how we led the squadron. He got up on the pulpit and he gave us this amazing amazing speech about this battle efficiency ribbon uh, that we could win and what it would mean for each other and our careers and how important the work that we were doing is for the Navy, for the country, for the military. You know, he was just that speaker. It was great. And I was like, sign me up, boss. I'm in. Put me in. Put me in, coach. <laughs> and then second squadron, you know, second half of my tour in the in the navy, you know, this this commanding officer got up on the stage and the speech was like pathetic. And it was about it was about how proper planning precludes piss poor performance. That was the whole speech. That's all I remember from the speech. Proper planning precludes piss poor performance. And the first commanding officer, he used to come down to the line shack. I was, you got to remember, I was the lowest man on the totem pole enlisted, you know, (laughs) carrying chains across the flight deck. It was (laughs) like gross, disgusting, hot, sweaty work, you know, And he'd come (laughs) down to our shack. He didn't have to, but he'd come down to our shack and have conversations with us about this goal and our contributions and how things were going. He got to know us personally connected. He didn't have to do that. Second commanding officer never once came down to the line shack to talk to us. And I will tell you, like, the, the mechanical results in those two squadrons, like, the measurable results were so different. In the first squadron, we had this thing called the Alert 5. You had to be able to get the airplanes. I worked on an F-14 Tomcat squadron, top literally Top Gun. You had to get the planes off the deck in five minutes or less. That was your job. They sounded the alarm. plane had to be off the deck five minutes or less, and we scrambled. And in that first squadron, we used to break the record. Like, we'd get the plane off in four minutes, three minutes. It was amazing. And we brag about it. Like, that was our, you know, uh-huh. that was our source of pride. And, like, we really cared about the work. Second squadron, I remember several occasions standing at attention in front of the commanding officer and his XO getting berated because we didn't hit the five-minute standard. You know, it was just a poorly performing um, environment. And that that's the difference. Now, I'm not saying it was only the commanding officer's you know, language that made the difference, but it had a big effect, at least on me at the ground level. In terms
0: of- 100%, but I, I mean, that just reminds you like the top down trickle, right? Whatever's coming from the from the top, it it is it affects everyone.
1: It matters. And the <laughs> you know dynamics are different in the Navy because we were working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's, you know, it was our life. And I'll tell you one other thing, to end that story is the conversations that occurred at the ground level, you know, in, in that first squadron, optimistic, charismatic leader, who really set a goal for us and kept us going. That was human oriented. We were, we were talking about how to, we had, we played together. We had fun together, but we also talked about how to improve the squadron and how to improve, how to meet the goals for that badly. In the second squadron, all we talked about was I can't wait to get off this ship. I can't wait to finish this shift. Here's what I'm going to do, do when I get out of the Navy it was a very like pathological set of conversations that were occurring that had nothing to do with the work. And it was a big, right. you know, emotional difference for me at that ground. Yeah,
0: level. that's incredible.
2: Muriel and I have had the good fortune just to, to have some guests on where we've spoken to him about their their jobs. And, and because because of Mariel's background and working with uh, the prevention of suicide and understanding the lead up to suicide, some of the business people with whom we've spoken um, have either been working in their field or been one of the the top dogs, so to speak, of their field. And we recently spoke to uh, a team of women who were uh, female veterinarians, and they were talking about the high, high incidence of suicide in their field and how it surpassed that of dentistry, excuse me. And one of the things that we learned is that it's, Twice that of the dental profession, and at four times the rate of the general population. And when we were diving into the conversation to try to understand why, there are a sense of hopelessness. You know, there's aside from the fact that there's this high percentage of in their field of work of euthanizing the animals, and then the all all of the baggage that comes along with that emotionally. There was this this feeling of no hope so whether it's the the lead doctor or the owner of the clinic or a team of vets it, it really there was no differentiation between status or role or position in the company it was just this feeling of hopelessness and i'm wondering in in the in your work and in your exposure to other businesses if you've come across the same sense of hopelessness or gloom and how how would a company or even if this is in a family how would someone approach that in your opinion
1: well from from a ceo's perspective you like i said before and i explained the difference in the two navy squadrons right so if you don't have an optimistic view of the future if you can't produce if you can't produce and scale hope you're doomed it's just you're doomed you're gonna have miserable people and you're gonna have a miserable business. Like a big part of being a great leader is having a reasonable sense of optimism. Yes. Optimism yeah. and being able to express it and communicate it in a way that scales. Like language is really, really important. It's probably one of the most important tools we have as leaders. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, that makes so much sense. Uh, Sean, we're gonna take another little break here. Um, again, amazing. We were talking to Sean Flaherty. We're talking about happiness in the workplace and so much more. Thanks, <laughs> Please come back. Welcome back to Outcomes of Sun podcast. We are speaking to Sean Flaherty. If you just joined us, and if you just joined us, you got to go back, you got to rewind, or whatever you got to do with your. Uh, technology, because what we've been talking about is incredible and, and kind of, I just, it's so life affirming to me because I think, I don't think of myself as like a business person at all, but you know, what, what you're saying, what you're talking about in relationship, in happiness in the workplace and leadership really just applies to living living a life where you're doing things in balance in and in communication with the the ones that you love and the ones that you work with and frankly that's our that's life right that's having relationships with with the human beings that you care about and have have a passion to create incredible creativity and you want You want everyone to win. And that's what I've come away from is that you, your work is really about empowering human beings to be their best, right? To be leaders, whether they're employees, whether they're parents, whether they're kids, whatever it is, just human beings being the best they can be and knowing that they matter. So This conversation has been incredible and enlightening for anybody who wants to know more about their brain, really, you know, like, I I don't know, I'm, I'm excited. Is there anything that you'd like to, you know, share with us that, I don't know, another story about the Navy, (laughs) anything?
1: You know, kind of wrap up the conversation by saying that there, there literally is a renaissance going on right now in the social sciences around human human flourishing and thriving and what causes it and where it comes from. And again, I think it's all of our jobs to at least have some understanding of what it is that causes us to be intrinsically motivated and to be happy. And it's available to us. The science is there. People have been doing r- real life experience, experiments on this stuff and figuring out like what are the mechanics behind human intrinsic motivation and, and happiness. And if we can take that science and distill it down in, in a in a way that's useful to to what i do as business leaders ceos it or all leaders to your point like we're all leaders um it can be it can cause a profound change in the way that you organize and run your your organization and this applies to nonprofits to you know for profits to governmental entities to government agencies ngos all, all of them Like. It's about human creativity and you want to maximize human creativity to really maximize long-term sustainability and success. So when you guys ask the question about, is it worth it to invest in happiness? I take a backdoor approach. We're not really investing in happiness per se. We're in hap- We're investing in creating the space within which people can be creative, which will generally naturally lead to their happiness. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah.
0: It absolutely makes sense. And the good news is, I don't know if you've seen behind me, it's been snowing, the sun just came out, out comes the sun. <laughs> uh, Sean, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, I hope you'll come back and you and your daughter, maybe we'll have a kind of a group A group podcast with the two of you because you can talk about positive psychology and this this idea of relationship but you are an extraordinary human being and we feel very very grateful to have had you on so thank you so much thank you melissa who is my amazing uh, co-host whatever and we're hanging in there so thank you all so much join us next week but Please, if you just joined and you missed some of this, go back and listen to this conversation. Extraordinary. Sean Flaherty, you can get him on LinkedIn, Sean Flaherty, F-L-A-H-E-R-T-Y. And his company is ITX.com, which is a software company, which is doing extraordinary things, but that's a whole other conversation. Thank you all so much. Join us next week. Thank you so much for joining us today on Outcomes the Sun. Uh, You can listen to our podcast on Spotify, on Apple, and on YouTube. And you can donate to the Mariel Hemingway Foundation at themarielhemingwayfoundation.org. And I want to spell Hemingway for you, H-E-M-I-N-G-W-A-Y.org. I only say that because a lot of people put two M's and that just won't work. Um, also, on if you're watching on YouTube, you can go to the donate button at the bottom and it will take you right to a link with the QR code. And uh, if you go to marielhemingway.org, you can also press the donate button and be able to donate to the foundation, which is designed to help guide people towards finding the right solutions for their mental health issues. Um, that is my goal. I'm just trying to raise money so I can come up with an app and a website that has all the information you could possibly want to know about mental health and where to go. But we are in the process of making that happen and your donation means so much to us. So thank you so much and we'll see you next week.